That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Jake, our collect for the sixth Sunday after Pentecost begins, and I almost thought it was talking about you. It says, the fountain of all wisdom, which is how I think of you. Well, thank how you. How you doing? I'm well, I'm well. It was, it's close. <laughs> Good, I'm doing great. Uh, how are you, Aaron? Uh, well, we are both looking, I will say for our listeners, very clerical today. Both of us are in a collar, which I often am just, um, you know, I care about my congregation. Hmm. You know, that's all I'm saying. Um, you're often in a Motley Crew 88 Tour t-shirt. Well, you know, it's just uh, just trying to, you know, relate to the kids. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, you look good, though, seriously. I'm excited to talk about our readings today, yeah. though, which are Genesis 18. We're doing track two, listeners. Uh, Genesis 18, 1 through 10a. Uh, Colossians 1, 15 through 28. And then Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. So the first one is, or the Colossians passage is a long one, and it's a, it's a lot. It's There's rich. a lot going on there. It's rich, as uh, they say. It is I, I was going to say thick, but you can't really say thick anymore. I saw somebody tweeted recently some book about Jesus that he wanted. This is a clergyman who wanted to do a class with, um, like, I don't know, high school students or something. And the title of the book was, like, A Thicker Jesus. And I think the author, clearly not deep into pop culture yeah. or what the kids say these days, was meaning, like, you know, let's get into the real, like, deep teachings of Jesus, the hard right. teachings of Jesus, or something like that. I've not read the book, but clearly the title is just a non-starter. So, any book editors out there or aspiring authors, don't put thick in your title unless you're writing a bodice ripper or a romance novel mm. or something like that. Well. So. Do your research. Check right. the Urban Dictionary before but it you is tell a, your It's books. a good passage. I love this one. So, um, it is thick. All right. Once again, so, atonement heavy, so as they would ooh. say. Yeah. So, uh, well, we begin with Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 10. And here Abraham is, and, you know, he's been given a promise uh, that he's going to be the father of many nations, and uh, he's been given a new name, And um, but, you know, things still haven't happened. And, um, you know, he's... You know, like all of us, as we wait for a promise, uh, also struggle to believe. And uh, lo and behold, what you have um, there uh, by the Oaks of Mamre, um, uh, basically the Lord shows up and cruises on over and Abraham says, Hey, uh, would you uh, be my guest? And so, uh, and then immediately he puts Sarah to work because he's the husband of the year. And, um, (laughs) and, uh, um, you know... I love it. They said to him, where's your wife, Sarah? And he's like, they're in the tent. <laughs> so anyway. Where but, else uh, would she be? Yeah, duh. So, but, uh, and then um, he uh, basically says, you know, your wife, the, the angel reiterates, the angel of the Lord reiterates to him 
that um, the promise that the wife, your wife Sarah, shall bear a son. This is just crazy impossible. And this is really setting up for our reading next week where um, Abraham believes God and it is credited to him as righteousness. So, um, but what, what would you, how is it oftentimes preached and what would you say about it? So one of the, the ways this is preached is to talk about hospitality, which, you know, is is legitimate and true. It's in the passage. Uh, Abraham is showing hospitality to his guests. Uh, although it's important to note, like, he's not do he's not being extra here. This would be what and the culture at the time demanded when people show up at your house. You, and so I don't know, Jake, are you on the Twitter? Have you been following this, what's called Swedengate? No. Somebody tweeted this week, there's a huge, it's sort of blown up. Uh, but if you're not on Twitter, you have no idea this is happening. But there are BuzzFeed articles about it. Some person tweeted about how when he was a kid, he would go over to his friend's house in Sweden. It'd be common for his friend to be like, here, you stay in my room and play. I'm going to go have dinner with my family and not invite the guest to dinner. Mm-hmm. So Twitter is exploding right now about whether this is or is not common practice in Sweden, and there are people on both sides. Nevertheless, that has nothing to do with this, except to say that in the in the ancient Near East, hospitality was a big deal. And still a big Abraham deal. Abraham shows it. Still a big deal. Still a big deal. Uh, and, and he shows it to these three guests. I think... Um, so the point of this passage, if you just say the point of this passage is like, be hospitable, because you might be entertaining angels, or these aren't really angels, these are, this is off regarding as a theophany, a, yes. a, an appearance of the Lord, this is often seen as the Trinity uh, coming, these three quote-unquote men, uh, because obviously these are divine messengers, and the famous icon of the Trinity, which thro- shows three personages sitting down to eat, uh, this is the setting for for one of the famous icons of the Trinity, these three three divine uh, persons with a capital P. Yeah. Well, Nevertheless, the point is not what we need to do to show hospitality to visitors who might or might not be angels or divine visitors um, and don't talk about the divine spark that's in every human being, and so we need to show hospitality to them. That is not what this is about. Or, I mean, it kind of is. I mean, God made people. We're all made in the image of God, and yes, we should show hospitality, but that's not the amazing thing. I always tell people, look for the amazing thing in Scripture. It's not amazing that Abraham, an ancient Near Eastern man, shows hospitality to some guests. What is amazing is that God shows up and dines uh, with at him. Somebody's, it, it, <laughs> yeah, this is the amazing thing. It's kind of it's a pre-Christ incarnational moment of God coming to you when you don't expect it in the heat of the day, you know, just the middle of your ordinary life. And coming Uh, to you... There's a lot of people that have feelings about Richard Rohr, and I'll say one thing that Richard Rohr says that I think is true is, um, and I have no no ill will towards Richie, uh, uh, but uh, people have opinions and they get excited about them. So don't hear me as endorsing or not endorsing, but I will say that he says God comes to you disguised in your ordinary life, and that's sort of what is happening here. God's an incarnational God, and 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 you know these are people that don't deserve anything. Yeah, but they don't. They're going to have a kid, and it's an impossible situation. So that's what I would say about that. Yeah. God comes to you in the ordinary life and and deals with your impossible situation. Yeah, they. Uh, yeah, and he comes not to people who are uh, expectant and uh, and you know ready to go. He comes to people who've got real serious doubts. And he dines with them. And, uh, you know, and that's the powerful thing about in the middle of the service. 
um, is that you are sitting, your parishioners are sitting there with some serious doubts probably as well. And uh, the good Lord has showed up, but this time you don't have to make the meal. He offers himself as a meal uh, in uh, bread and wine. And so when he meets you right there to assure you that indeed uh, Abraham's offspring is the salvation of the world, including your salvation. And so two things yeah. on Sweden. Um, well, on Sweden and Arab hospitality. Uh, first of all, I was in Sweden um, with the group EFS, and shout out to Magnus Pearson. But those people were nothing but amazing in hospital, and I had a gr- hospitable, and I had a great time with them. And I encourage anybody to go to Sweden anytime you'll have a great time. But uh, there were these Arabs. Uh, so when I was in college, I used to study um, Arabic, and uh, there were these guys that uh, I used to go to their ke- like tea house. And uh, Arab hospitality is alive and well. Middle Eastern hospitality is alive and well. So I would go there and I would go there to practice my Arabic. And I remember like I became friends with all of these guys. And one time they were like, do you want something to eat? And for some reason that particular time I said no. And uh, because I'm always ready to eat. But uh, the Hmm. guy was like, well, he was like, if you were hungry, what would you want to eat? And I was like, I don't know, probably some like lamb and some hummus. And before I knew it was like lamb and hummus was spread right before me. And so, but that is not the point. The point is, is that God now sets a meal for you. And uh, uh, Abraham's uh, son is is the host and uh, the meal. And so uh, we move to Colossians where St. Paul explains why that's all possible. Uh, by the way, I think this passage also, there's an oblique reference again to you, Jake, not only in the Collect, but in this Genesis passage, as someone who's gone running with you several times. It talks about a calf, tender and good, which is how I would describe your calves. <laughs> it's, well, right. it's true. It's true. Colossians chapter 1. Yeah, Jake crushes me on the Peloton, by the way. His output is insane. Um, Colossians 1, 15 through 28, this is the beginning after uh, Paul's gotten through his greeting of the church in Colossae. He's now getting on to the real theological meat. Uh, This is all about Christology. This is the thick Christology. uh, And uh, basically says that Jesus is God. Um, And this amazing statement... If there's any doubt about the New Testament's position on Jesus, uh, it's... Any Arians out there? Yeah. And by Arian, I mean A-R-I-A-N, meaning yeah. followers of Bishop Arius in the um, early church. Who or Mormons. Jesus, so. great guy. Jesus was great. Uh, God made him, and he's super special. He's like Superman, but he's not God. Mm. So, Colossians comes right up against that. He is the image of the invisible God. And don't think firstborn of all creation means that he there was a time when Jesus did not exist and then was born That's and right. then existed. Um, this is a, a way of describing Jesus's... Resurrection. Uh, yeah, exactly. Not, not when he came to exist. Because um, it says <laughs> he, can't, he can't have come to exist at some point because in the very next verse it says in christ in him all things in heaven and earth were created things visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers and powers so jesus is is eternal and before all things and again just the strongest possible language the divinity of christ all things have been created through him and for him and in him all things hold together this means the subatomic forces in every single atom and every single molecule in your body that Christ is present in those places holding everything together. Uh, and, um, yeah, moves on to talk about the church. Well, it says the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, not just part of the fullness of God, but the, so Jesus is fully God. Again, he just says it in every way he can. 
and then you know hits this amazing point at the end uh, of this first uh, part of the passage. Um, this again, the surprising thing. This is where he, he make he says he makes peace through the blood of his cross. So he's above all things. He's the you know he's got he's God, and then also he died on his cross, which is and crazy. It's important to note too that like uh, by making peace through the blood of his like that's how he do, he makes atonement. That's what Paul is getting at there. Is that uh, this is this is an this is an idea of atonement. It's not as an example. It's not uh, anything else, but by that very act where he functions as our substitute, because this becomes the bridge then to the second paragraph. Uh, And you who were once estranged and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, Uh, you know, and that's that's everybody, you know, and you can't understand really the grace of God and the good news of the gospel until you understand yourself as one who was once estranged and hostile in mind. You were, before Christ, you were an enemy of God. Um, you know, nobody's neutral. The, the, gospel, the New Testament makes it perfectly clear. No one's neutral. And so, but uh, how does he, how does he uh, reconcile us? Well, once again, an atonement reference uh, in his fleshly body through death. And it's uh, that that presents by his death, dying in our place, he's able to present us as both uh, holy, which uh, means in many, like God, and blameless and irreproachable before him. There's like no accusation that can come uh, come at you. Now, here's the key thing, provided that you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith. Now, what happens here is that now people want to give you life tips and all the great things you can be doing in order to make sure that you're established and steadfast in the faith. But how, how does that come? Well, it comes about the same way it came about the first time, by hearing the gospel. And you need to hear the gospel over and over and over and over again, because without the gospel, you move quickly into your own works. And so this is how, why he goes on to say then, without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you heard, uh, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. You know, so it, it continues, we remain steadfast in the faith, not by doing things, but by hearing, by being a recipient of this serving God who uh, gives himself once again, um, you know, a- as a meal. Yeah, I think um, the other thing that can be confusing here in this passage, and it is one of those things I will not, Jake and I will not settle it now, despite us being the fount of all wisdom. Uh, it's this kind of hard thing or confusing thing that, Paul says about, in my flesh, I am completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. And he's not saying, I mean, again, read your different commentaries, they'll have different views on this, but he's not saying that Christ's work was somehow insufficient to redeem the world. As we say in the Book of Common Prayer, full, perfect, and sufficient sacrifice, oblation, and satisfaction for the sins of the world. Jesus's work is done and complete and doesn't lack anything. Um, uh, the understanding of this passage that has always kind of made the most sense to me is this is Paul, as he's dashing off this letter to the church in Colossae, is trying to say that Christ still wants to show the church, his body, how much he loves them. And so the ministers uh, that serve the church continue in their bodies to suffer mm. for 
the church as you know paul is in persecution paul is in prison all these sorts of things he you know he he goes through a lot of trials and tribulations in the service of the church and service of the lord and so he's saying you know i'm just showing you once again how much jesus loves you as someone who tries to serve you like christ served you um uh so yeah and that's uh, and that's, that's backed that's, up by that's the what rest. he's saying that's backed up by the rest yeah. i became its servant yeah. according to god's commission right. that was given to me for you uh, to make yep. the word of God fully known. The mystery. What's the mystery? It's not a Scooby-Doo thing. Mystery is just another word for uh, revelation. You know, the, the, the revelation yep. that was hidden throughout the ages. and But now I've been re- revealed to all the saints. This is that That's the substance of his proclamation. And uh, it leads to suffering because nobody wants to hear that you've been saved by grace. <clears throat> that's right. It's... Uh... It's very offensive to the human ego to hear mm. that um, you don't have to do anything, which is why when we read that last verse in this passage, uh, verse 28, where it says we may present everyone mature in Christ, our ego reads that as, ooh, I am need, I need to get better, and I need to make other people better. Mature in Christ must mean um, I now am a perfect person who's self-actualized, organized, never procrastinates. A little uh, hair in my spiritual a- armpits. So. It has a perfect BMI <laughs> yeah. and it just is just killing it in every way, crushing right. crushing it in life. Um, and that is not what this is saying. To be mature in Christ is to be like the nuns that I saw on Memorial Ooh. Day weekend watching Top Gun Maverick. I saw three habited nuns, blessed sisters, <laughs> getting ready to watch Tom Cruise with his shirt off. And uh, and I just thought this is so great. These are these sisters of mine in Christ know the freedom they have in the Lord. Uh, they're spending money on something that has like zero spiritual benefit. Uh, you know, there's there's nothing churchy about this movie. Uh, it was actually a great film. I had I like cried and had all my nostalgic feels. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I just like this is so perfect. These nuns are watching uh, Top Gun Maverick. I thought it was wonderful. And so, to be mature in Christ is to be less full of yourself. It's to be more relaxed. It's to be less concerned with the sins of other people. Is to be less concerned about sort of self denial and flogging yourself for your perceived spiritual faults. It is to trust more and more in Christ. Yes, you're aware of your faults, but you just you know he Jesus isn't spending too much time on those things. So. Uh, he's taking care of it, so why do you want to worry about yeah. it? Anyways, that's to me what it means to be mature in Christ, to be not a legalist, to be not a moralist, to Just be to someone who rests in the gospel. Simply allow Jesus to take your breath away. So, Which, that song by Berlin does not appear in Tap Gun Maverick, although mm. Kenny Loggins and uh, the theme song do make a repeat. Mm. That was Anyways. my favorite part of Top Gun, that song. I so. Well... Through the, new, the, the hourglass, new... I saw you. <laughs> Jake, for a long time in my youth and childhood, that was my favorite song. Dude, that ended every eighth grade dance. Let me tell you, Dude, when I was kidding. That song, it's hot. that song kicks. So anyway, ankle. Hmm, I think I'm gonna play okay. it tonight for Melina. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> are you gonna do that thing where you like raise one eyebrow? <laughs> do it now, Jake. Let's see if I can resist. All right, Luke chapter... Oh, look, it, he did... I wish... Oh, man, if you guys could have seen that, he, like, took his glasses off. He, yeah. Ooh. All right. 
Let's move on to Luke chapter 10. Very short passage, famous passage. If you enter the vesting room at St. Albans in Waco, Texas, you'll see a stained glass window that depicts this scene. A beardless Jesus looking Ooh. very... Uh, Shaved. Yeah, looking very, yeah, looking very... Uh, Not like Kenny like a, Loggins. So. Yeah, doesn't look like Kenny Loggins. More like a John Denver. Uh, and he's uh, he's sitting there, and Mary is uh, seated at the Lord's feet, listening, and Martha's looking a little bit ticked uh, over her shoulder, standing up, because she's like, she has to deal with the air fryer, and uh, mm-hmm. and Martha is working hard, and Mary is not. Yeah. And We, uh, we all want to be Marys in a Martha's world. It's... It is a Martha's world for sure. Mm -hmm. You got to be getting things done. Uh, What's interesting though is that people make the Mary activity, the resting, the meditating, the listening, learning. People make that into a task to be done. Isn't that ironic? Yeah, we bring a Martha mentality to the Mary. We wind up turning um, Mary into a Martha. Mm. I know, because we always want to achieve things. And I love, and if you're a Martha, if you're a person who is very much aware of how much you've gotten done on your task list, and that defines your worth and value as a person, you see Martha demonstrating what always happens in this case, is that if you're worried about your own to-do list, if you define your value and worth from that, like Jake's showing me up in the Zoom, I can see his his list. It's got like 25 things on it. His is written on a piece of paper. I totally, I'm a Martha as well. My list is in Evernote. Uh, it is very long. I'll share my screen with Jake just so we can together yeah. uh, see each other's uh, stuff because uh, I have to justify myself as well. But if you are someone who is a, a, a Ooh, Martha, that's good. You're, also a, you're also aware of... Uh, how other people are doing too. Um, every Martha who's checking their own tasks is well also aware of other people's tasks. Mm. And that's what she does. She comes to Jesus. And he's like, Jesus, look at, look at my sister. There's some triangulation. Uh, won't you rebuke her? Because how could someone be a good Christian if she's not doing her task list? Uh, and it's interesting too that this Martha is trying to show hospitality to Jesus which is what many people take the Genesis passage to mean, like the message of this passage is be hospitable. But who gets rebuked kind of for being hospitable in Luke chapter 10? Mm. Martha. Because the most important thing is not what we do for the Lord. The most important thing is what the Lord has done for us. And so what we need to do is sit at his feet and listen and rest. This yeah. is the gospel. To be mature in Christ is to rest at his feet and to stop doing stuff all the time. And I am a sinner who needs to hear this because I am also a Martha who is much more concerned with getting things done than um, the fact that I'm loved in Christ. But So preach this message to yourself, preacher, yeah. and preach it to your congregation, the yeah. better part. That's great. I have nothing to add on that, but just... Take it easy, and uh, remember, it's the Lord who serves you. That's that's the interesting thing, isn't it, uh, Aaron? You know, we um, we talk a big game about you know wanting to serve God, but I think what comes out of these readings is uh, He's the God that ultimately serves us, and uh, He's always meeting us, and 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 it's in His service for us and resting in that that we're ultimately carried out to um, uh, go in peace to love and serve the Lord in the face of our neighbors. So uh, give, give people the goods and uh, give them a moment of rest and, uh, and then watch what uh, God does through them. Amen. But then after you preach a sermon, give them lots of instructions like I do about how to come forward for communion because if they mess that up, weeping and gnashing of teeth, outer darkness. Just kidding. Make their loved. Let them go. Yeah. All right, Jake. Well, I think we've, uh, I think we've done our task list on these passages. Good job. 
Yeah. I recognize you. You have value. You're worthy. Mm, Thank you. I appreciate it. And you are a font of all wisdom. (laughs) See you next week. Nice calves. Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.